My wife and I were visiting in a this little town called Hergalia, where they were anticipating possibly putting up a wellness center. And the, the owner who owned the property did not know the people who were asking for the land, but they knew us. And so the gentleman took us to the property. And as he was showing us the land, he asked us, can I trust these people? <laughs> we said, well, we know them. Uh, I think you can trust them. But we should kneel down and pray. And so we knelt down and prayed. And as we stood up, uh, lo and behold, a young man on a cart being pulled by a donkey came up to us. And he asked the question, have you seen my sheep? And we said, no. How many sheep are you looking for? He said, 10. How long have you been looking? He said, I've been traveling about 15 kilometers. And I could sense the sorrow in his voice when we said, we are sorry, but we have not seen your sheep. He hung his head back down and then went, and the donkey began to pull the cart over the rocky terrain because when he was moving along, he was now in the woods. And I could remember how I felt sorrow for that young man who had lost 10 sheep and he did not know where to find them. Let's pray together as we study this morning. Our loving Father, as we consider your word, we pray your blessing with understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about seeking the lost. But in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 13, it says, Ye shall seek me, and ye shall what? Ye shall find me, when ye shall have searched for me with how much? All your heart. This morning, I'd like to reflect more on the seeker than on the one who is being sought for. In Luke 15, there are three conditions that are described as being lost. And many of you, I'm sure, have read Luke 15 and the three parables there concerning the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy. The first one, of course, the lost sheep. I don't know how many of you have sheep or taken care of sheep, uh, but if I know anything about sheep, I know that they do not really pay attention to where they're going. Somehow they do not have a GPS system. I know that because uh, I met another shepherd who, when he saw me, began to talk to me, and he forgot all about his sheep. And after he asked me a question, if you leave God, can you ever come back to him? And I began to tell him some shepherd stories. Uh, he got so engrossed in what I was saying 
that he completely forgot that he was taking care of some sheep. And all of a sudden, he was, oh! And the sheep were all scattered. And I noticed that he jumped into action. He took his rod on the side as far beyond the sheep as he could and hit the ground and the sheep gently turned backwards. And then he went on this side, hit the ground, and the sheep turned backwards. And as they both turned backwards, they joined together into one flock again. That was a good lesson that I learned as a pastor from that shepherd. Don't hit the sheep, hit the ground. Well, the next one is the lost coin. It being lost where? In the house. The lost coin did not know it was lost, and uh, it is sad to say that there are too many who are lost in the home, and they don't even know that they are lost, unfortunately. The last one is the one I want to focus on, the lost son. But first, let's look at the other two. The lost sheep, the shepherd went and found it. What's amazing about people who do not, who know they're lost, but who do not know how to find their way, is that when somebody finds them, those people rejoice. Is that true? They may not know how to get to where they need to go, but they rejoice when somebody comes along to show the way. And so this particular experience is of a successful return with a shepherd carrying the sheep back home rejoicing. And he says, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep. And then Jesus says, there's joy in heaven. Moreover, one just man, uh, uh, pardon me, moreover, one sinner than 90 and 99 just men that need no repentance. The other one, the lost coin, it's the same situation. The coin was lost, the woman went sweeping, and she finally uncovered the covered, the covered dust or the dust-covered coin. And she again came out and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin. It may be of interest to you that it is, it is, a, it is suggested that the reason why this lady was looking for her coin was because that was part of her dowry. And in those days, when a woman got married, the man had to give the father money, and that money was given by the father to the girl, so that in the event that things did not go the way it should have gone, that she had a way of getting back home. So that lost coin was an important piece in her life. But she finds it. Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. And again, the repetition, there's joy over one sinner that repenteth more over than 99 just men that need no repentance. The last one is the prodigal son. The lost coin doesn't know it's lost. The lost sheep knows it's lost but doesn't know how to find the way. The prodigal is lost because he wants to be lost. And I may add this in this particular discourse. The most difficult people to bring to the Lord are the prodigals. 
The reason why they are so difficult is because they know the way. And when you try to reach them, they always have some way of escaping. Because they know normally what takes place. They know normally what you would say. And they always have a response for why they're not ready or they're not interested or they don't want to come back. The thing about the, these three parables is this, that most of the time we focus on the lost, but we do not focus on the anxiety of the ones who are attached to the lost. The concern, the weeping, the agonizing nights that pass or days that pass, when one knows that somebody's out there lost, but there's nothing that you can do physically to bring them back. They must come to themselves. They what? They must come to themselves. If they do not come to themselves, there is no way to bring them back. The lost sheep, the lost coin, but the prodigal, it's a challenge. But let's consider in Luke 15 about the, the, the father. You can understand that the shepherd represented by the shepherd in the parable had to go through some challenges, some difficulties uh, to find the sheep. The woman had to get something to sweep gently as she tried to uncover the coin. Because in, in uh, many places, the floors are dirt floors. And when you drop a coin in a dirt floor, it disappears <laughs> under the dust. And if you sweep too hard, you will sweep the coin. So you have to sweep just gently enough to sweep away. So there's a, a, an effort that is undertaken by the person seeking in order to find that lost coin. The prodigal son, notice it says there, if you're with me in Luke chapter 15, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. What's interesting is this, that sometimes there are people who are anxious to get what they think belongs to them. The hardest thing that parents have to deal with who have means is children who are waiting like vultures for the parents to pass away so they can get their hands on what the parents have. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not concerned about how the parents feel. They're not concerned about how the parents think. All they're concerned is about how they feel and what they want to get. And so, this boy, irrespective of how the father felt, he is only interested in gaining for himself what he thought belonged to him. It's called entitlement. What is it called? Entitlement. Too many of us feel that we are entitled. When what? We're entitled. I remember growing up with my five brothers. And I remember that many times we would say to mother, we're hungry. We're what? We're hungry. 
we were not thoughtful about what she would have to go through to get food and cook it and prepare it for us. All we were thinking about it was, we're hungry. How many of you have done that to your mom or dad? Dad or mom, I want this. Mom, dad, I want that, right? Uh, you have a, a car, your son or daughter can't wait until they are what? Old enough to do what? To drive. And what do they want? Give me the keys. What do they want? Give me the keys. They're not, not conscious of the, the expense, of the, the, the effort that that dad had to put into being able to work and work and work and save and finally be able to buy a car and then have it to be insured and all those things that happen when you own a car. The, the, the child is only thinking about driving. About what? Driving. I can't wait until I drive. I was just in Romania not too long ago, last year, and somebody invited me to his house. It turned out to be a man who was quite wealthy now. I mean, very extremely wealthy. And uh, he invited me to his house. When I got there, it's a gated place, a big mansion. I couldn't believe it. And so when I knocked on the door, the maid came and opened the door. She escorted me uh, into the, this palatial living room with all sorts of uh, interesting things there. And finally, he came out. Oh, Pastor Torres, I'm so glad to see you. And then he had a, a large table with all sorts of food for me to eat, as though I hadn't eaten for weeks. And uh, then as we sat down, then he said, Pastor, do you remember that I was your chauffeur when I was a young lad? I said, yes, I remember that. He said, I really didn't want to be with you, but it was the only way that I could get to drive a car. So my father said, you can drive the car if you chauffeur the pasture. Well, he said, well, I, I had no interest in you, but I certainly was interested in driving. And so he said, I just drove and drove and drove. I just had such a ball driving you around. At last, I can drive my car. So he said, do you remember me driving? I said, yes, I remember you. Now he doesn't have to drive. He has chauffeurs to drive him around. You understand? You hear what I'm saying? But all he could think about was what? Irrespective of what sacrifice he would have to spend, he wanted to drive. Okay. Well... My poor mother, I can remember her having to buy us suits. Every Easter, every year, as a Catholic, she somehow had been trained or taught that you could not go to church unless you had something new on Easter. I don't know if that's still the custom today, but it certainly was when we were children. Because every Easter, mother went and bought us all new suits, new tie, new socks, new underwear, new shirt, and we were glad to go to church. I don't know how that poor woman did that because she was extremely poor. But thank God that she had such a regard for her children that she was willing to sacrifice herself. But we had no con conscious thought we had not the, the, the understanding of whatever she had to go through to get for us our suits. And then when Christmas came, we all told her what we wanted. What, what? What we wanted. 
Sometimes I remember she became so exasperated that she would say something like this, where am I going to get it, boys? Do I need to sell myself? Of course, she wouldn't do that. But she thought how hard it would be to provide for the kids. But thank God she always came through. But we had no understanding of the agony, the anxiety, the desperation that that woman was going through for us. And so this boy, unconscious of what he was saying, give me what comes to me, as if though the man was already dead, because the only time that things came to the children was when the person died. It's almost as, as though he was saying, I wish he were dead so I can have what I want. But it's interesting is that, that the father did give him what he wanted. It says he divided unto them his living. You have to then think about what kind of a man this man was. He could have said, why are you asking me for my stuff now? I'm not dead. He could have said that, correct? But the Bible says that he gave his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance in righteous living. I remember a pastor who came up to a home. He was a new pastor in the district. And when he came uh, to visit, there was an older couple sitting on a porch swinging. And so the pastor said, hi, I'm the new pastor in town. I just wanted to come and get acquainted and, and visit with you folk. And so they said, please have a seat, pastor. We're glad you're here. He sat on the porch with them and began to talk. And finally, he asked him a question. Do you have any children? And he touched a very sensitive spot for they had a son. And so he noticed that they bowed their heads. And then the father lifted up his head and said, we have a boy, but we don't know where he is. When he turned 18, he read in some newspaper that up in Alaska, we can go and make some big money. So he decided he was going to go up to Alaska. And we said, why do you need to go, son? You have everything you need here. You have everything you want here. If there's something that we haven't given you, just tell us. We don't want you to go. We love you. We enjoy your company. Please don't go. Stay with us. Now that... I, I'm, I, I need to make my own way in life. I'm, I'm old enough now, and uh, I promise you that I'll write you. Well, no way that the dad pleaded suffice the young man. Finally, the day came when the young man packed. And as the father looking, he said, at the young woman packing, he was like his heart was being torn out. Then when that young man closed his suitcase, he went to the door 
and the father said, and he stood there at the picket fence and said, I will write to you soon. And he waved, and they waved, and mother couldn't handle it, so she went in and wept. And the last time I saw my son was that time that he stood there and waved. It's been 10 years, and we haven't heard one word from him. Oh, if only he could just write, I'm okay. I'm here. You don't have to worry about me. It's just a little note. But we haven't heard one word in 10 years. Oh, if we could only just hear something from him. But this young man in the Bible, he leaves. No thought of what he was doing to his dad. He just takes off. And the Bible says that he wasted his substance in riotous living. And then, as it usually happens, when he has spent all, I remember my mother always used to say, un amigo es un peso en el bolsillo. And that's simply, a friend is a dollar in your pocket, she would say. Because what she meant was that you had friends when you had a dollar, but you had no friends when you had no money. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I, I could identify with that because when I was in show business and I was burning $20 bills on, to light my cigarette and all that, I had all sorts of friends. All sorts of friends. Well, when I lost, when I left show business and I didn't have two shackles to rub together, I had no friends. So the reality is that many times, friends are friends when they can get something from you. Thank God when you do find genuine friends, what do you say? When you do find people who care about you because they care about you. But this particular young man went and spent his all. And then when he spent his all, all of a sudden, all the people who were with him, he was buying their, their this and their that, providing for them, providing for the parties and all that. All of a sudden, he didn't have anything. And along with the money that was lost, was lost all his friends. The Bible says, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And in verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a certain a citizen of that country, and he sent him unto his field to feed swine. Now, the reason why it mentions swine, so that you know, is that to a Jew, the lowest thing that you can do is be with pigs. In fact, if a Jew senses that you're not true to your Jewish faith, that's what they call you, pig. And so, here he is, unconscious about what's going on back home. He has spent his money in riotous living, living at high, as we say, on the hog. And all the meanwhile, who's agonizing? Who is in 
agony in prayer. There's that old man pleading that somehow God would take care of him. You remember Job, how Job would offer a sacrifice for his kids just in case they might do something wrong. It's nothing like the heart of a parent who cares for their children. What do you say? And the agony and the perplexities of mind, troubled heart, when they know that their children are wayward and have absolutely no way to do anything to turn them around. Well, the scripture says, when he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him, when he what? Came to himself. When he what? When he came to himself. My wife and I were pastoring in a church in Wilmington, Delaware. And our head elder, Don Woodall, was a uh, former physical therapist. His wife was a nurse. And they had built a uh, nursing home and became quite well off. They had two children, a boy and a girl. And they just loved their kids. And because they were well off, uh, they provided everything that the kids needed and wanted. They sent him off to school to study for ministry. He was uh, quite tall, about six feet two. He was a very handsome looking young man. And the father was very, very proud of his boy, studying for the ministry, preparing to serve God. And uh, when that boy would bring his friends home, uh, they could take the boat, they could take the motor home uh, and go out and, and have a, a lot of fun on him, you understand? And so dad was just so happy that he had this boy. But finally, one day he got word that the boy had disappeared from school. And they did search for him. They could never find him. And the parents just wept to think that something had happened to their boy. Some crime. Somebody had taken his life. They just wept. They mourned the loss of the son until two years later they got a phone call from the boy. He had not been killed. Instead, he had left the college and went out to California as far away as he could from home. And when he called home, he simply called home to curse his parents. Imagine getting a phone call from your boy telling you, I hate you. I want you to know that I'm living it up. I'm taking drugs and having a wonderful time with it. And you kept me from it. I hate you. Click. How would you feel, parent? If you had a call like that from one of your sons or daughters. No concern for how the parent felt. His only concern was for himself. Well, my wife and I had to go to California. And the father somehow figured out where the son was living and gave me the address and said, Pastor, can you please visit my son? We, I said, well, I'll try. 
After we finished our business up at PUC, we went down to San Francisco. And uh, we went up to the hill where the address was. I went to try to get inside, but there's a rock gate, and I could not get in to see if I got what's at the right address because the, the mailboxes were under the wall there. And I couldn't get enough of an angle to read the names. And so I was going to leave, and all of a sudden a taxi drove up. And out of a taxi, a young black woman came out of one side and an old man came out of the other side. The old man was shuffling his feet. His, his stomach was quite, quite extended. Uh, white hair, very, very uh, skinny. Uh, and as he shuffled his feet toward me, I said, Mister, do you live here? What do you want? And I said, I'd like to see if the person I'm looking for lives here. Get out of here, he said. I said, well, mister, get out of here, I said. Well, I thought I was making the man upset, so I decided to go back to, to the car. My wife said, well, what's going on? And I told her, she said, you're going to let him push you around? You need to go back. I said, all right. So I went back to the man and I said, Mr., I, I, I can't leave until I see whether or not. Uh, he said, who are you looking for? And I gave the name. And he said, I'm he. 34-year-old boy. Looked like a 70-year-old sick man. Stomach extended shuffling his feet and he said come on up so I went up when I got up there he immediately lit his marijuana and blew it into my face and then he began to deride his parents they're lunatics God there is no God and he was really really uh, angry so I said, well, look, they asked me to come and visit with you. You tell them that I hate them. And I said, well, look, I came to see if I can help you. I don't need your help. Get out of here. So I took out my business card and I said, if you ever need me, he threw it down on the, on the floor. So I got up and left. When I got into the car, I, I couldn't help but think about not him but his parents. You understand? How could I face those parents after I saw what I saw and heard what I heard? We got back and they immediately found out we were in town and they called me up, wanted to visit, and I just, just hated to, to see them because they were godly people. I mean, they were very, very dedicated people. And by this time, they had lost, they had converted their nursing home to build condominiums. And they had contracted to sell the condominiums by the end of the year. Unfortunately, the gas crisis hit in 1975, you remember that, and nothing was moving. They lost all, all their wealth to the contractor for $250,000. Now they were penniless, plus $25,000 in debt. They lost their boat. They lost everything. And the only thing they could do was try to rent a, an apartment downtown in the worst part of town. 
So they called me up one day and said, Pastor, because I used to tell them, uh, would you help us with a restaurant, vegetarian restaurant? Well, when you build it, I'll, I'll be your best customer, is what he would say. No, Don, I need your help. No, when you build it, I'll be your best customer. So then he called me up and said, remember that restaurant you talked to us about? I said, yes. He said, I decided to start one. And I thought, with what? You're broke. But I didn't say that to him. I said, how are you going to start it? I'll borrow some money and we'll start one. He started the restaurant called The Vegetarian. Anyway, the Lord just blessed him. After he started that vegetarian, a Marriott Marquise would build across the street. The whole downtown was turned into a, a mall, an open mall. So the terrible neighborhood that he bought the place and turned out to be a wealthy neighborhood overnight. You understand? And uh, the Lord just blessed that man for his faith and trust in God. But anyway, when I talked to him and told him what I had seen, the mother broke down and wept. And all she said was, oh, if only he would just come home. Oh, if only he would just come home. So we prayed. And finally, about two weeks later, he gets a telephone call. Don did, the father. It's his boy. Dad, I decided to come home. They were rejoicing. Our boy's coming home. Our boy's coming home. What they did not understand was that that young woman kicked him out. And he had no place to go to. And he had had a surgery when I talked to him and his stomach was extended. He had had a surgery because his liver had given out. And they had put a shunt from his liver all the way up to the artery to get rid of the vial. And so the woman kicked him out. He had no place to go. And he determined that he was going home to make it as miserable as he could for the parents. That's why he came back home. When he went got back home, he wanted the parents to pay for his drugs so he could continue to use his heroin and, and all the stuff that he was using. And the father, I remember, called me and said, Oh, Pastor, he said, I can't bear it anymore. This is not the boy that we raised. He wants us to support his drug habit. We can't do that. But he keeps on cursing at us and using his drugs. And we don't know what to do. He said, I don't think I can pray for him anymore, Pastor. I said, Don, we must keep praying. He said, I know. But he said, I, it's so hard. I said, I understand. So finally, he called me. Don called me about 2 o'clock in the morning. Pastor, come quick. My son is in the hospital. I heard him call my name. Dad, Dad. When I went to follow the voice, there he was in a pool of blood in the bathroom. And so we rushed him to the hospital. And when I got there to the hospital, his blood pressure had dropped down to zero. The doctor said there's no hope. Can't do anything for him. So being a physical therapist, and I knew something about natural remedies, we went in there, and we asked the doctor, can we at least do something for him? Well, go ahead. We can't do anything. So we began to use natural remedies, and that boy's blood pressure turned around and normalized. The doctor was a surprise. And then we kept on praying, and finally 
They took him out of the ICU and put him in, in a private room. It was a miracle. We believed. And finally, one morning, I went to visit him. And before he would say, Mr. This time when I went into his room, he said, Pastor Torres, Brother Torres, I'm glad you came to see me. He said, last night, I gave my heart to Jesus. And he said, oh, I've been a fool. I've made my parents' life miserable. And then he said, Pastor, pray that I live, not because I'm afraid to die, but pray that I live so I could repay my parents for all the good that they have done for me. I said, we'll pray. And then he said, I've been witnessing to the doctors. And by the way, it's interesting that he had two doctors taking care of him, Dr. Lazarus and Dr. Resurrection. <laughs> you think about it. God is giving us a message. What do you say? Dr. Lazarus and Dr. Resurrection. I'll never forget those names. Well, the boy kept on witnessing to the doctors and to the nurses and all that. And one morning I went to visit him. I went into his room and he had a book on his chest, Ministry of Healing. Before that he said derogative things against Mrs. White. But now he had a book on his chest written by Mrs. White. And I nudged him to see if he was awake and there was no response. I nudged him again. No response. But there was a peaceful look in his face. With that book on his chest. Wayne Whittle passed away. But thank God that he came back home. What do you say? Thank God that God still welcomes back prodigals. You must come to yourself. But when you do. There are open arms waiting for you. That's where we think about like the boy who thought, I've messed up my life. What am I going to tell my dad when I get there? I know what I'll tell him. Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. But when he got back home, he found the opposite. Not an angry father, but a loving, anxious father. Waiting for him to come back home. And so this morning. Our Father in heaven. Our Lord. Our anxious. Desirous. Yearning. For the time. When the prodigals will come back home. What do you say? And we can think about all the reasons why we shouldn't come back home. But that's selfish. It is what? It is selfish. We're not thinking about what the Father's going through. We're not concerned about what God is suffering while you're lagging behind, while you're, while you're hanging out there, thinking, well, I need to get my life straight. I'm thankful that that young man didn't wait to get his life straight. I'm talking about the prodigal. I'm glad that when he went, he went stinking like a pig. You hear what I'm saying? But God demonstrates that he's not concerned about how you are, but what you can become.
when you come back to him. What do you say? But I wonder if there are some prodigals among us who have been thinking about the reason why you couldn't do it, while you wait, while you're causing the heart of your father yearn for you. Why don't you make your father's heart rejoice over you because you decide to come back home today? What do you say? Let's pray together. Our Father, we do not understand the agony that you go through. But the cross is an emblem of the pain that sin has brought to your heart from its very inception. Oh, Father, forgive us when we are thinking about ourselves and neglecting to realize the anxiousness that there is on your heart for your children who are wayward, who are lost, who need to come back, but for some reason, the enemy is holding them back. Lord, when this day is finished, may every heart here today, considering all your concern for them, Decide not to put it off any longer, but to give themselves to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Nahire 